Welcome to Power Players by Orgis, critical thinking to deliver the promise of clean energy. This program brings you leading voices in solar and energy storage and sectors impacting renewables, exploring challenges and solutions for industry growth, the true cost of operating and maintaining power plants, and system asset management considerations. My name is Josh Corbett. I welcome you to this episode hosted by Michael Iman, Managing Director of Orgis Services. Right, today on Power Players, we have Sarath Srinivasan from Kilowatt Hour Analytics. Sarath, you're the vice president and head of product at Kilowatt Hour Analytics, uh, and you guys are a leader in climate insurance. But you've been doing this stuff for a while, and in fact, you were instrumental in helping scale the solar revenue put to over $3 billion over the last three years. Prior to that, I believe you were involved in renewable energy finance for over a decade, You've done a number of transactions, worked in the capital markets, and you've closed over $5 billion in transactions during that period. You've also managed the solar business unit at Gardner Capital, helping acquire, develop, and finance over 120 megawatts of solar projects in the Southeast and Midwest. Uh, and you were instrumental in financing over 100 megawatts of CNI solar projects at Sun Edison when you, were, when you were there. Now, I also would note that you have a degree in mechanical engineering from the Indian Institute of Technology in Madras, and an MBA from MIT, of all places, Sloan School of Management. You are originally from Chennai, India, and I and you now live in Brooklyn. Is that correct? And that's that's right. Uh, after seven years on the West Coast, I moved to Brooklyn recently. How, how, why Brooklyn? How did you end up in Brooklyn? Uh, well, that's a long story, but first, thanks for having me on this show. <laughs> Welcome uh, to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, this is a great forum for uh, folks in the solar operations community to exchange ideas and you know hear each other's views. So thanks for doing it, and yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Absolutely. Right, Before we go any further, did I say Sarath Srinivasan? Is that correct? Did I did correct. I mess it up? You got it. You got it. Uh, Bang! So. Look, we're off on a great foot already. This is going to be yeah. a fantastic yeah. episode of Power Players. So uh, how did I end up in Brooklyn? So I actually lived in New York for a few years right after business school. Um, so I still have a lot of really good friends here. And then I moved out west for seven years. Still love San Francisco. But uh, just after the pandemic, felt like a change of scene. You know, wanted to come back out east. And this time figured uh, try living in Brooklyn. So here I am. All right. I mean, I, I wish I knew more about Brooklyn to ask more questions, but I don't. Hopefully, if I get a chance to go out there, you can show me around a little bit, and then and then if I ever run into the situation again, I'll have more to say about it. Yeah, but, anytime. But we're definitely hitting the uh, the upper limits of my knowledge, which is zero. Um, so look, today we're we're um, we're not here to talk about Brooklyn. Uh, we're you know obviously we're here to talk about um, you know kilowatt hour analytics and, and your work, um, s- sort of helping to quantify and understand. The performance of these sites and, and to also look at that through the lens of the new Inflation Reduction Act. And, and, and so, so you guys are positioned quite well to take a look at sort of this industry trend and what's going to happen under IRA because you guys have been looking at production of these sites over a number of years now. I think four, right? I think you're on the fourth version of the solar risk assessment. So talk to us a little bit about what that is and what you've seen develop uh, from that product, you know, over the last four years and, and sort of how the industry looks from that perspective? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. You know, it's it's great to see that happen. Uh, 
it's the fourth year we're publishing it. We've been here for all of it. Uh, you know, take a step back on why we do this. So who's Scalable H Analytics? We, you know, what the role we want to play in the industry is to help connect the insurance markets with the risks in climate and more specifically the energy transition through the use of data. So at our core, we're a data company, but we use data to help the energy transition get lower cost of capital to better access to uh, risk management through the insurance markets. So that's what we do. So we want to make sure the industry uh, is up to speed on the latest views on risks that are out there and also better risk management practices. So that's really kind of why we started publishing this. Uh, so we started out in 2019. Um, and here we are, we're the fourth year. So what, what is the solar risk assessment, right? It's an annual report we put together. We, we go out to a bunch of you know, leading industry folks and say, hey, what's the one most interesting thing that you learned over the course of the last year in your data? Uh, and can you write a one pager on it, uh, summarizing your findings? And people come back to us, they, they write what they see with regards to solar risk, risk in the industry. Uh, and then we put that all together. So we have folks like DNV, uh, DNV Woodmac, Bloomberg, um, NREL. So you know, do you do you like collaborate with them on every? Is it an ongoing collaboration? Is it something that like each year when you're looking at this report, you reach out and you collaborate again? Like how how is that back and forth working or relative to this report? Yeah, we we kind of go out and ask people, hey, what are you seeing this year? Mm -hmm. What is interesting? What do you want to talk about? What do you want the industry to know? And they come back and, and write up what they think. Uh, and we work with them sometimes to maybe, you know, just make sure it kind of the overall report flows and people are not talking about the same things and there's no repetition. But for the most part, we let people talk about what they find interesting. Uh, we go out to a wide variety of folks. Some years, some folks may say, hey, yeah, this year, nothing particularly stood out for us. So we're not going to write up anything. Other years, people do. So this kind of a changing cast of characters sometimes, but uh, you know, but every year because our industry is growing so fast and maturing so quickly, there's always really good insights that come out every single year. So, so as opposed to it being like a snapshot where you're doing a project each year, it's more about reporting on reporting out to the industry on what is inherently an ongoing activity. Did I did I get that correct? Yeah, that's right, and that's why we do it every year, right? Because we want to see what's changing over time. Um, you know, and this year is particularly interesting when we published it. We didn't think the Inflation Reduction Act was going to happen. And now that's just going to pour a lot of fuel over the growth story of the coming years. So if anything, um, we think it's more important for us to be aware of what's happening and kind of keep track of it over time. Yeah. And the IRA is a, a whole other topic and we're going to we're going to get to that a little bit later, but I want to make sure people understand you know, what you do in the meantime and what this report is. Cause I, I have to tell you, I've read it every year. Uh, you know, I was, I was there year one, uh, you know, talking with your CEO at the time and making sure that, uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, some clarity because you really, you guys came out with some really interesting findings, particularly in the Southeast, which at the time was where, you know, the majority of our projects were. And so I've watched it sort of develop over, over the four year period. And I've seen you guys address these issues that are coming up in the industry, you know, through that venue and then put those out and, and you should be commended for, you know, for making the industry better, spending your money as a company to make the industry better. So 
what were you know let's talk a little bit about what sort of things did you guys see you know this year that came from the data what sort of what sort of uh what can people take away you know high level um and then where can they find the report if they want to go dig in a little deeper yeah uh, i'll address the second question first so sure. you google kws analytics total risk assessment you go to our website you can download the report for free, uh, something we want the industry to read and everyone to to get on the same page on. Uh, in terms of the interesting findings, uh, I thought what you know we can focus on. I mean, there's a lot of really great contributors. We have 14 different reports. I don't think we'll have time to walk through all of it, but uh, what I wanted to focus on was solar asset uh, performance. It's something you know very uh, something we've tracked over the years, and I think we see interesting trends. That's important for the industry to be aware of. So. I wanted to focus us, focus us on that. Uh, one of the pieces we published this year uh, talks about how asset performance, uh, well, we've always published every year about asset performance. We do the solar generation index every year, and we published that last year, and we said the median asset is performing at 92% of its P50 prediction right, in our database. And our database has 30% of the solar fleet in the US. Which, which inherently means the P50 is not a P50. Exactly right, <laughs> and I think that's an open secret at this point in the industry. Yeah, so, yeah. So by it, right? I, I, mean, I think we all choose to keep lying to ourselves about that one, uh, you know. But yeah, I think everybody realizes it. Right. I mean, if it, it's a, it, and in it, part, you know, I will say, you know, as an op on the operations side with owners, I was constantly going back and forth because you're, you know, when they say a site's not performing, inherently they're talking about relative to the model. And so I was always under pressure. Why isn't it performing to the model? Why is it performing to the model? And the short answer is, well, the site as it exists in reality and the model may not be lined up. You guys have done me a huge favor, huge favor. Thank you so much. And the rest of the folks in the operations industry, because we can point at that and say, now, if you'll notice, it's operating about where the line is that people are reporting across the industry or above or below, which tells me that the model is off you know, in a similar way, because in the past we we were, you know, we were really pushing a rope uphill trying to get owners to accept that because they had financed the model. So yeah. thank you for that. And and uh, that's a continued service from my perspective, even if the even if it's unwanted news from a lot of the industry. So talk a little bit more about that. And I'm sorry I interrupted. I just I did want to say thanks. No, no, no. I appreciate that. And, you know, that's really why we do it. But uh it is unwanted news, right? But why is it unwanted news? Let's let's talk about that. So your asset, you invested into a solar asset, you're the equity owner, and your asset performs at 92%. You know, on the face of it, you may say, oh, 92% is still in the 90s, it's not so bad. But if you're equity, these are highly levered assets. You have tax equity, you have debt. What that really means is if you invested 100 million into equity, into solar assets, and your assets performing at 92%, and that's the median, by the way. There's a lot of assets that are far worse, right? By um, <clears throat> 2%, your equity is already impaired by 30 to 40% um, on day one. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm confused. Uh, or maybe I'm not confused, but I want to make sure that our the people watching this can sort of understand it. So can you walk through that a little bit? Because, you you know, regular person off the street or a regular solar pers person in the solar industry listening to this might say, well, wait a minute. 92% is only 8% off of 100. Why is your... Why are your you know returns impaired thirty to forty percent? Talk about that stack and why that plays out that way. Yeah, sure. So 
you know, maybe let's, let's use some round numbers, right? Every $100 of cash flows that come in, some of it goes to the tax equity, some of it goes to the debt. Let's say um, out of $100 that come in, $80 go away in that to those two stakeholders over the first uh, couple of years, uh, or over the first few years, especially when the tax equity is still in the deal. And now you first five or so, yeah. Yeah, and out of that $100, now the equity investor is getting $20, right? And now when you're performing at 92%, because they are lowest in the waterfall, they get to you know only participate in the remaining cash flows after both debt and tax equity have taken their share. So if they were going to get twenty dollars before, you know, eighty dollars goes to the other participants. Um, if you're at ninety-two percent now, you make seven dollars less. So that's forty percent of your cash flows, roughly. So um, if you're last to the trough, then you're left with what's left. Tax equity went first. Debt preferred debt went first. The twenty to thirty percent that's left, you're now they get their full amount, the full share, right? And now you're left with just the remainder so you know if you've only got 20 percent left and you're 10 percent off you're you're down 50 percent right exactly okay. exactly <clears throat> and you know there are some assets which perform even worse where even the lenders get impacted at that point the equity is completely wiped out but then yeah. the lenders also start to get impacted but we're talking about the median asset here uh so that's a problem and so in this year's report you know we've been talking about this for a few years now uh in this year uh when we published this report, one of the things we wanted to look at is how is the industry going to be? We want to look ahead, right? Um, is that still a problem or P50 still being aggressive today? Because what we're doing today is locking in these trends for the next few years, right? Um, and what we found is that uh, in, in some ways a little bit, uh, uh, I wouldn't say shocking because we've seen it over the years and so it's not surprising to us, but it is a ongoing problem in the industry. So what we found is, so so we we do the solar revenue put. So we're always uh, seeing new build solar utility scale solar assets come to us and say, hey, what is it going to cost to insure insure this asset for underperformance, right? Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we um, we have our own model that's back tested on all the data we have that can predict the P50 pretty accurately. And so when someone comes to us with a P50 estimate. Uh, we run it against our model, so we know what the real P50 is, so to speak. And so we just look back at all the sites we looked at over the last year. So in 2021, we looked at something like nine gigawatts of solar assets, and we priced all of those up. And when we did that work, we found that more than one third, so 38% of the nine gigawatts, the P50 delta was greater than 5%. Right. So and, and within that category, if you look at what the median is, um, the P50 was off by 7%. So the think about it, you're you're an investor in equity assets, you're investing into all of these different projects. You may get lucky and you may pick some projects which have conservative estimates and so you're OK. But if one in three assets has aggressive estimates, you're more than likely to get burned um, by, so by, this, by this trend. So I understand this. I think, you know, the industry is sort of coming to grips with this in part due to the quality of this of your report, um, which which gives sort of a third party objective truth, <laughs> you know, that people have to, that. So it's, you know, I think everybody used to be like, well, this project is a problem and you, the operator, need to fix it. 
now they sort of understand it's not this project. It's this is a broader trend, right? I think that's that's what this report has helped to do and what kilowatt kilowatt hour analytics and Brooklyn Sarath has helped to do. So so but what do they do about it? Like how do we solve it? I mean, because it seems like the motivations for you know the PPA rates are competed down. So you've gotta you've got to give a competitive number. So that squeezes the developers so that they've you know they've gotta sell the projects for a certain price in order to to do well. And then the owners particularly if you're like an infrastructure fund or somebody like that, you've got money that you've got to deploy. And so you have all these pressures which have created this reality, yeah. right? And then the IEs are sort of stuck in the middle having to backstop something that may or may not be, you know, a real P50. And if they don't, they're they're not only not going to be able to finish that job and get paid, but they're not going to get the next one. So they have those pressures. So So how do we solve this? Because I can tell you from the operations perspective, we are absolutely sick of getting measured against targets that we cannot hit. Absolutely. You know, I that's a question we kind of ask ourselves everywhere, right? But you know, to really think about, um, you touched on this a little bit, to think about solutions, we kind of have to start with why this is happening. Yeah. And, and the reason really is that uh, the incentives that have been set up are, you know, push people towards aggressive P50 estimates. So you've had over the last few years a wall of money that's been coming into the industry looking to invest into assets, right? And when that happens, everyone wants uh, to bid aggressively to- They get bid up, right? And so if you're competing and you're the one that's gonna take a conservative view on the P50 estimate, means you probably lose out on the bid. We've had large asset owners, utilities who been in the power business for over 20 years complained to us about that. It's like, hey, this is a problem. All these, you know, all the new capital that's coming into the industry is making aggressive assumptions and outbidding us. Uh, and we are seeing that that's just not sustainable in the long run. Um, I think what we have seen though is longer term asset owners who know they're going to own the asset. You know, it's kind of magic when you think about it, but you tend to see that their P50 estimates are not as aggressive. So to some extent, I think uh, just as the industry matures and grows up and we have larger asset owners or long-term asset owners, I think they really can set the trend because finally they are the ones that have to live with this asset for 20, 30 years. And if they are gonna be the end owners uh, and they value it a certain way, I think that flows back through the system. Uh, so in some ways it's, it's kind of something that tends to mature over time. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, O&M, uh, uh, folks like yourself, you're not put in that position where you're handed this unrealistic production estimate and then held to that standard. I mean, that's a game you can never win, right? Because uh, um, you're never going to hit there because it's just systematically aggressive and you're not going to be able to get there. Uh, you know, some yes, of the other it, things we're it, seeing, uh, sorry, just one other thing is, one of the other yeah. things we're seeing is folks also, um, when you actually talk about the mechanics of how it happens, you see, um, sponsors go to multiple IEs and ask for energy estimates and then pick the one that's the most aggressive, right? So that needs to stop. Uh, and then once you're actually doing the estimate, the mechanics is in a PV cyst, you have 15, 20 different assumptions. If all of those, each one of those gets turned in a certain knob, just all the knobs get turned in a certain way, it all adds up to, I guess, 8% overall. Um, and so I think making sure, um, 
the energy estimates and how accurate they are. There's validation done on it. Uh, there's accuracy of the estimates and people are actually being evaluated over time how accurate these estimates are. I think that's a um, that's a mechanism that we need to develop as an industry. And we've started to hear some of the bigger stakeholders start to talk about that already. There, I, there was some irony in a, in a previous statement that you said um, where, where you said the utilities are complaining to you. The utilities also on the far end are setting up the problem because they run RFPs on the PPAs and drive them down to a lowest number. And then they complain on the back end about, you know, the aggressiveness of the numbers, which were in part driven by the need to drive the economics in order to compete for those lower PPA rates. Yeah. So, so it's interesting to me where you've got players in the marketplace that both identify the issue as a problem for themselves and then contribute to it at the same at the exact same time um and you're right operations is a zero-sum game if we if everything runs perfectly then we just get a pass and it's you know if everything's not perfect which is almost inevitable then we're constantly struggling to achieve a goal that we're not it also occurs to me you know if you look at the doe and nrel numbers you'll see that you typically have a period of higher failure rates in the first 12 to 18, even 24 months of a project where you've got some infant mortality issues around the equipment. You've got, you know, sort of construction quality issues, which are a whole other topic. And we do not have our arms around those as an industry. And that's largely due to the, the price pressures on EPCs and the erosion of their margins and them and them having to cut like oversight and QAQC and things like that. So. But that's another subject for another day. <laughs> but you know that all being the case, and then you've got tax equity coming in, and they're in there for the first five years, and they're the first at the trough, right? So it seems to me that really, you know, after the first five years is when the equity owners really have an opportunity to make up some space. But what I see is when the financing hits and the site reaches not even COD, but but you know, just substantial completion, the owners are immediately like, where's where's the money? What's it going to be doing, right? Because it's very sensitive from a financial perspective in those first five years. On top of that, if you go to the finance forums, you'll see that assets tend to change hands between years three and five. So what I see happening when I roll all that word salad together is you've got challenges equipment technical quality challenges in the first two years you've got uh, itc and and tax equity players that are skewing sort of the financials in the first five years and so owners are buying things they're not performing and then they're selling them between three and five and it's the older assets where people are actually sort of getting real on what they can do and it gets rationalized and everything on the front end gets squeezed one one area we haven't talked about where potentially there's a opportunity for solutions is the insurance providers. And you guys are deep, 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 deep in the insurance side. Is there a role for insurance to get involved and to say we will only insure it, you know, or you'll get a discount for insurance or your insurance rates will be good because insurance has gone up dramatically over the last few years, right? It, if these expectations are met and certain benchmarks are hit, which makes this more insurable. Is there something to be done there? Because there's a desperate need for a third outside party to, to, to push on this issue. The answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it, it goes back to Project Finance 101, right? Um, 
in any project finance transaction, you want to take risk away so that the participants can get stable, predictable cash flows. That's really the goal of all of project finance. And when you reallocate risk to a counterparty that's best suited to take that risk on, everybody is better off in the transaction. So that's that's the core issue. And insurance markets, I think, are really well positioned to take on production risk because an individual asset may underperform over time uh, and it could be a lot more volatile. But systematically, when you look at the industry as a whole and you apply the right risk management practices, the industry benefits as a whole. You know, uh, An individual asset may get away with not following certain practices, but the industry as a whole cannot get away with it. And so that's where you know you go back historically insurance has helped um, you know make buildings more resistant to fire because you know it's a cycle right once you establish better uh, better framework for risk management buildings start to adopt it because they need to do that to get better insurance prices so it's a mechanism for ensuring best practices actually happen with a part counterparty that actually has skin in the game right uh, you you, if you're off and you don't do the things you said you're going to do when your modeling is off, you're actually going to be paying off. And so uh, I think it's very important for the insurance industry to get involved in setting what is a realistic P50. And one, one of the ways we could do that is, you know, if you're buying an asset and you think, hey, this is an aggressive estimate that you don't understand, you can say, OK, let me go get insurance on it and see how that price is out. And, and then that starts a conversation, right? Before you had two people with different opinions um, and they're just arguing about what's the right answer in a very uncertain future looking forecast of how an asset performs. But now with insurance, you can kind of bring it to the table saying, OK, here's the difference in view. Here's what a third party thinks. Here's what it's going to cost to insure it. And then you can arrive at a solution that allocates risk better. Uh, I think that's really the, the, the key here. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. I worked with KWH some years ago. Gosh, I think it was it's going on seven now uh, to create the initial uh, because I agree with you. I think, the, you know, there were performance guarantees that like SunPower, Sun Edison, First Solar, they were doing these what they called PIGUs at the time when I was at SunPower, which is a sort of silly word. Uh, but <clears throat> there were these there were performance guarantees. And then as the price came down, the operators couldn't afford to, yeah. to you know and we're also not in a position to guarantee performance because most of the things that drive performance beyond outages we just don't have any control over um and so you know i worked with kwh uh at that time to create and we created the initial products uh you know where you could insure you could pay for insurance to ensure performance because we felt insurance companies were the right people to take that risk when you look at everything has that product taken off? Because I know initially when, when we did that, we got, you know, because my hope was as an operator, I wanted to also be able to sell that product from a third party. Mm -hmm. um, because if people want a performance guarantee, I want that performance guarantee to be with the right entity. I got very few takers. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, I say few, I mean zero, because nobody wanted to pay to backstop the performance. Have you guys seen that trend change at all? You know, it's interesting you bring that up. We, we have in especially in recent months, started to see a change in that trend. You know, I think the industry goes swings from one end, you know, like swings like a pendulum from one end to the other. Um, going back, you know, 2012, 2014, so, uh, there were all these performance guarantees, really robust ones that guaranteed that, hey, 
if you hire us to operate this site, we will ensure that the ASP produces this <coughs> amount of energy come what may, right? Yeah. And then <clears throat> we can the way to, you know, just preventative maintenance and we'll pay for everything else as kind of cost got stripped out of the industry. But I think you're starting to see people get burned when 30 to 40% of your equity is impaired. You start to realize that, hey, there's a cost here. And, you know, with all things, people start to really realize risk only when they get burned by it. And so we're starting to see sponsors ask some O&Ms, hey, well, we want a more robust guarantee. How can you do that? And I think that's where there's a really, really good opportunity to collaborate. And we went down this path, you know, many years ago, but I think the opportunity is right now where, you know, if if a sponsor wants a more robust guarantee, an O&M provider may not necessarily be well positioned to take on weather risk or parts availability risk or all of that, but then the O&M is also really well positioned to operate the site effectively. Um, but when you combine forces and you bring the two together, you can actually offer a more robust guarantee to the market. And I think uh, we're starting to to see uh, some change in in the industry, especially partly driven by, you know, the recent law that got passed, uh, which kind of makes production more important than it was before. Yeah, and, and I will say for those owners that are listening right now, there are no free rides, right? So, you know, at the time that performance guarantees were being provided, you know, O&M contracts were 16 to $20 a kilowatt. Today, they're like four, right? So a lot of the reason why you don't see those performance guarantees is because you're not willing to, they're not willing to pay for those and to backstop risks like weather, you know, quality, supply chain issues, you know, that you can't control is expensive, right? From an operator's perspective and our contracts are so small that our contracts just can't absorb those risks. The only way to do that is to increase the cost of the contract, in which case much like the PPA competitions or the buying projects will never win a contract. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I think the insurance and going out to an insurance product is the right way to do that if you really want to mitigate that. Now, you just mentioned something, and I want to, and I want to talk about it. And, and you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, and everybody can argue the name. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go down that line here. But there's a lot in there that has to do with the renewable industry, and and and, and in particular. You know, we saw that solar is now eligible for a PTC, and and so not just an ITC. Now, maybe you know, and I don't know. Do you get both? Do you have to pick between them? I don't think we've gotten all the direction from all the you know the DOE, IRS. You know, uh, all these guys haven't come out with their interpretation and the rules around this as of yet, uh, unless somebody else knows something I don't. This as of this morning. And so we don't know the details, but how do you see the the renewables part of the IRA and those changes changing behaviors and changing the industry from from your perspective and in the context of this conversation? Yeah, it's really huge, right? Uh, you know, obviously we're all really excited for it and the amount of growth it's going to bring. Uh, but yeah, the change that you highlighted, I think, is a pretty big one, which is that solar assets are now you know, eligible to elect for the PTC. Before it was only the ITC. Uh, and so what that means really is, uh, and, and, and a lot of the learnings are from the wind industry that has lived through this for decades now, I guess, um, that before your revenues were tied to how your asset performed, and just your revenues and maybe your renewable energy credits were tied to megawatt yep. hours. 
But now yep. your tax credits are also tied to megawatt hours. So your which credits? Your tax credits. Tax uh, credits. Got. Yeah. I heard S credits. I, sometimes uh, I stood next to jet engines for years. You know, so sometimes I don't get it right. So your tax credits are now tied. So your tax credits from the PTC. Exactly. From the PTC are also tied to how you perform, right? So now suddenly, uh, if your asset underperforms, there's a double impact. Not only are you getting less energy revenues, less record revenues, you're also getting less tax credits. And so that just uh, exacerbates the impact of underperformance on on the entire capital stack, right? So uh, I think it becomes doubly important. Uh, what we're hearing is that in asset, in areas where the solar resource is really good, you know, like in the Southwest or in California, um, you know, just high solar irradiance regions, they're more than likely to adopt the PTC uh, rather than stick with the ITC. Some other regions, like maybe the Northeast, for example, may stick with the ITC. Uh, so there's a big part of the country that PTC is going to become the uh, possibly become the dominant way of financing solar assets. So it is. Important. Does that mean so if you pick the PTC, so tax equity is out? No, you still have tax equity in the structure. Do you? Uh, yeah, yeah, you still have tax equity. It's just structured differently. So so you uh, so you have tax equity in the structure. They're in the deal perhaps for a little bit longer than they may have been under an ITC scenario where they got more of the tax credits up front. Here they have to stay in for the full 10 years to get all the PTC credits. Uh, and there's a structure where they would put in some of the equity up front and then they'll hold back some of it and then only release that based on how the asset performs. And if your asset performs below the required amount, they then make up for it in other ways. And the impact of that flows on downstream, right? So Let's say you were supposed to get 100 tax, you know, 100 uh, megawatt hours worth of tax credits in a year, but you only got 80. So now you're short 20. You're going to fill that gap in some way. Maybe you start to pull in more cash instead of credits as a tax equity investor. Now, once that happens, now the lender has less cash. So the lender has to pull in some of the cash from the equity, and now your equity is impacted even more. And so getting underperformance, I think, becomes more important. Uh, I want to call out, I think, uh, back in 2000, I think the late 2000s, uh, the wind industry went through yeah. year on underperformance. Uh, For sure, yeah. It was pretty huge, you know, I think wind turbine uh, power curves were off. There was just massive underestimation, uh, overestimation that was happening. Uh, and because the tax equity was also exposed, it was a really big problem. And the industry had to hit a reset button. They had to go through some validation and redo how they, you know, uh, estimate the P50s. Uh, and, you know, I, I, would, I don't want to say the solar industry is at that point yet, but directionally, the trends are similar. And at some point, we do want to course correct and uh, get better at uh, estimating P50s. So what you're saying is that what happened in wind is coming our way. We're going to have to get real about the performance if we're going to get paid on that performance. Exactly. I'm exactly. boiling things down to to you know speak that I can understand. So yeah, it's 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 definitely because if I can get it, everybody can get it. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely more important today. And then the other thing which you called out earlier was uh, construction quality, equipment quality, because you know we're going to go from the industry already was scheduled to grow 4x over the next decade. And this is going to make it even more uh, of a growth story well beyond that. 
that just means, and it, it's in the backdrop of supply chains getting reshored back back to the states. So there's just a lot of change happening in the supply chain, and in general, there is constraint in ability of EPCs to build quickly. All of that means there's just more uncertainty in how the asset that gets built performs. So even setting aside the PTC, I think just the fact that there's going to be more growth makes it more important to uh, make sure assets perform well and that we get our modeling right and uh, all of the best uh, practices. Well, I will tell you as a service provider and having worked in operations in this, we're on the end of that whip, right? We're, we're way out on the end and I would love it if we had targets that were achievable. Uh, and because that would sync us up with our owners mm-hmm. and with our assets in a way that would be really healthy, right? Uh, because today uh, there's a lot of stress in those relationships over these numbers. And if you have impossible numbers, then that stress never stops. Uh, and you can switch providers, uh, you can change your O&M, but the outcome is gonna be the same. Right. You know, and so that's, you know, so realistic estimates, you know, at the performance and then getting paid for that performance. So that what I'm going to call performance tax equity also is in the same boat with everybody, I think is is a really healthy change. And I look forward to that change happening in our industry. Any final thoughts for folks around uh, around this topic as a whole performance and you know, uh, tax credits and 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 sort of changes and what's going to happen, you know, going forward with these changes in law? Uh, no, I, you know, I think uh, kind of look back at the growth of solar over the last decade from 2012 to now, it's just been staggering, right? Um, but I think we all have to remember that we're still a pretty young industry that's scaling quickly. And so a lot of these are international growth pains that we just have to work through on the path to becoming a more you know, mature uh, player in the energy markets because everything goes according to plan. Um, solar is going to be a big part of the energy system in, in the country and making sure we're prudent stewards of being in that position, I think is, is critical and making sure assets produce and perform the way they, uh, we say they're going to, I think is, is going to be the key there. Yeah, it's interesting. You're in this industry long enough, you see like the stressors change, right? So for a long time, the stressor was get the price down to reach parity so that we can compete with 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 regular power. We exceeded the timelines that I every single timeline I ever saw that were projected on that. We exceeded all of them, you know, and we were operating um, at ludicrous speed, you know, to get there. Right. Because suddenly it became the cheapest form of power to put in the ground. And and my view of what's happened here is, you know, the industry just went plaid <laughs> and nobody knows how to operate at that speed. And, uh, you know, the supply chains have to move around the the, you know, the sources of materials have to be moved closer to the industry and and labor is going to be a huge problem. And so while we're dealing with those problems, which are which are very real structural issues, I think getting on the same sheet on the problems that we actually create ourselves and eliminating those can help to clear some of that fog um, and help give us a clear vision of the future of the solar industry. Uh, Saroth, uh, who who from now on is going to be Brooklyn Saroth to me, uh, thank you so much for your time today. I, I hope that 
people listening to this ha have left with a better understanding uh, of sort of some of the challenges and also the opportunity that we have in front of us. Um, you you are a, a power player and kilowatt hour Linux, uh, kilowatt hour analytics, I said that wrong, has really had a big impact with this report. Please keep putting it out. Please keep speaking truth to power and being that objective truth. And thank you so much for joining us on Power Players. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, and yeah, we will keep putting it out every year. We can, we can be sure that we keep doing that. Well, we're listening. Thanks, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Bye. Bye now. Find summary thoughts on this topic and more insights into operating your clean energy assets at OrgisServices.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Power Players by Orgis, critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise.